All right. Um, I would like to just open with prayer and invite you to pray with me this morning. Lord, I'm asking that you would use this time as we open up scripture. Please use it to speak to us and challenge us. And again, I pray, as I did at the beginning, that we would have hearts ready to listen. And as we listen, I trust that you will speak. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I have um, a poem that I want to share. And I realize just now in this moment... Here's what I'm going to do. Seth, sorry, I'm going to have you. Would you grab my phone? It should be over there. And can you just bring that up here? Um, Thank you so much. (laughs) I really really need this right now. Um, This last week, you know that we are doing, um, we are uh, using a, a summer series called Upside Down. And this last week, I had Joshua and Rebecca send me a message. And um, I need to find it here. Um, I'm going to read it. I guess I could read it up there. It might be a little bit hard to to see for me. Joshua sent me this uh, last Sunday, I believe it was, Sunday or Monday. And he said, hey, this reminds me of your message series on Upside Down. This is one of the benefits of having our worship gathering online like this. So Joshua and Rebecca, missionaries of ours who we are beginning to support Um, are in Mexico right now, and uh, they're able to join us. So Joshua and Rebecca, hello. You are listening right now. I'm pretty certain that you are. My wife is saying, yes, they're listening right now. Hello, Joshua and Rebecca. So I asked Joshua if I'd be able to share this, and I'm going to share it with you right now. You can follow along, and you can see it on the screen right now. Pretty ugly is what it's called. It says, I'm very ugly. So don't try to convince me that I am very, a very beautiful person. Because at the end of the day, I hate myself in every single way. And I'm not going to lie to myself by saying there is beauty inside of me that matters. So rest assured, I will remind myself that I am a worthless, terrible person. And nothing you say will make me believe I still deserve love. Because no matter what, I am not good enough to be loved. And I am in no position to believe that beauty does not exist within me. Because whenever I look in the mirror, I always think, am I as ugly as people say? Wow. Yeah, just what a, what a heart-wrenching poem to read. But then there's one more line here, isn't there, that you can see. And it says, now read bottom up. Meaning, in some ways, flip this around. Flip it around and read this again. So I begin with the last line. Am I as ugly as people say? Because whenever I look in the mirror, I always think beauty does exist within me. And I am in no position to believe that I am not good enough to be loved because no matter what, I still deserve love. And nothing you say will make me believe that I am a worthless, terrible person. 
So rest assured, I will remind myself there is beauty inside of me that matters. And I'm not going to lie to myself by saying I hate myself in every single way because at the end of the day, I am a very beautiful person. So don't try to convince me that I'm very ugly. That makes a world of difference, doesn't it? Like a world of difference. But it matters how you read it. If, if you read this as logic would tell you, you know, logic says, at least in our culture, we would say, well, you read from top to bottom and you read from left to right. And so if we would just logically go as we think, okay, this is how I'm supposed to read this. Wow, what a, what a sad reality of this poem here. And yet, as if you read it and reverse it, you recognize, oh, the author has something intended here for us. I think it's so similar to our relationship with the Lord and, and just to life, how life is created. If, if we take life at face value and we just think, well, this is what I'm supposed to be striving for and this is what my world tells me to be pursuing, you know, whatever that is, money, uh, entertainment, pleasure, etc. I think that we end up being, being very disappointed just as I would be very disappointed in reading this poem from top to bottom. And yet then if we flip this around, I think that we start to see the truth that is intended by the author. And I, I think it's truly the same for us as we look at life. God has intended for us to experience his joy and his comfort in this life, but it is not found as we believe it's going to be found. We have to flip things upside down. Thank you, Joshua and Rebecca, for sending that, that message uh, to me. Listen to these words found in Psalm chapter 55, verses 6 through 8. David is the one who writes this, and he says these words. He says, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. We don't usually talk like that. But he's talking like that. Man, I just wish I had the wings of a dove. Why does David want the wings of a dove? I would fly away and be at rest. If I could just escape, I would fly away and I would be at rest. At, at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and the storm. I don't think that this is a suicidal call here from David. I don't believe that at all. I think what it is, though, is this saying, if I could escape all of life's problems, the problems I am confronted with right now, if I could just fly away and just get out to the desert, oh, that would be so good. That would be so good. Have you felt that way? Have we felt that way? Where, man, we are bombarded with, with issues and problems. If I could just leave it all. I would love that. David is offering this cry, this, this morning, saying, I wish I could just escape the difficulty of life. The second beatitude that we are going to look at this morning is, an, is a beatitude that Jesus offers and is very paradoxical. It's upside down. This one especially true. 
He says, Jesus said, in essence, happy are sad people. Truly happy, approved, are people who mourn. Happy, truly happy are those who are sad. Uh, Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. It's where we are at this whole summer here. Matthew chapter 5. And today, I'm going to backtrack as I did last, uh, last week. And I want to just look at verses 1 through 4 to remind us of where we are at right now. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Now when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The ones who mourn are the ones who will be comforted. Upside down, isn't it? Absolutely. When you were a child, did you hear the words, Oh, get over it and stop crying. Did you hear those words ever? Just get over it. Toughen up. Uh, if, if you are male, chances are really high that you heard these. You know, we make room for, eh, the girls will be that way. But if you're a boy, if you're a man, and you grew up, chances are really strong that you heard, it's really likely that you heard, Get over it. Toughen up. Thicken your skin. You got to learn to be a man. I, I was thinking back this last week. I don't recall hearing those words a whole lot. I think I probably heard those words a few times. My parents probably remember better than I do. Uh, and there's, you know, there's actually times, I think, where we have to toughen up. <laughs> and sometimes we really, male or female, we just have to learn to toughen up. Um, I've also talked with some people who have, have shared with me, when I was a kid, there was no room for crying. That was unacceptable. It was, it was a sign of weakness. So we were not allowed to cry. That's, that's unfortunate because these words here, Jesus is saying, blessed, truly happy, approved are those who mourn. Those are the ones who are going to be comforted. Cannot help but think about people who are listening online or who are here right now who have experienced great loss. And you understand what it's like to mourn. You have lost someone, perhaps it is through death. You have lost a loved one and it breaks your heart. I can't even understand the pain that you are going through. I have lost loved ones. I have never lost someone so close to me yet. I'm so thankful I haven't. I've lost my grandparents. Um, That's probably what has hit me the deepest this point of my life. Some of you have lost a loved one, a spouse, and you understand the grief, the deep grief that that accompanies that. You've mourned. Some of you 
Perhaps you have gone through an unwelcomed divorce where there was marriage, but there was divorce and it came and you didn't want it. And that brought about this sense of mourning. Perhaps some of you experienced divorce and you understood that there was legitimate reasons for the divorce and you knew that it was the direction that you had to go and yet you still grieve. There was mourning, this sense of mourning. There's brokenness. I don't like this. I don't want this. That's, that's mourning. Perhaps some of you understand what it's like to have relationships severed. Maybe the relationship with a child. Maybe it's a relationship with a parent. Maybe it's a relationship with a coworker or a boss. And, and there's these issues. There's a relationship is severed. That's pain that causes us to mourn. These are all forms of loss. And they bring about a sense of mourning. The Greek word here for mourning is a, a word that indicates the strongest, the, the most intense kind of mourning a person could possibly have. So in the New Testament, there are nine forms of mourning or sorrow that are used. Of those nine, this is the most intense kind of mourning that could be conveyed. And that's the kind of mourning that Jesus is getting at here. This is deep sorrow. This is deep mourning. If you remember last week, we said, we looked at the very first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This beatitude, the very first one, is intellectual. Blessed are we when we connect the dots and we get it. We understand that we are spiritually bankrupt and we have nothing to offer to God. There is nothing that I could pat myself on the back and say, well, there we go, Nate. That's really good. But that is an intellectual part. That is, that is intellectual. Us understanding this about me. This, this beatitude here today where Jesus continues on is emotional. Jesus says this intellectual is going to bring about an emotional response. Blessed are you when you mourn. And when you mourn, you are going to be comforted. Jesus lets us know that. I believe that he is getting at when we understand the weight of our sin. When we get this. Emotionally, we understand it. It causes mourning, whether we're physically crying or not. There's a sense of mourning for our sin, over our sin. Jesus says, in that moment, you're going to be comforted. But I have to ask the question because I asked this question all week, this, this last week as I was preparing for this morning. Why do I equate mourning with sin? Further, why... Did every theologian I looked at this last week equate mourning with sin? What, what's, what's going on here? I want to try to answer that this morning. And um, I, I hope that the road I take you on makes sense. I hope that you're able to follow. I want you to consider this this morning. There is a mourning that God does not appreciate. There is a type of mourning that God is not going to bring comfort to. Are you with me? Are you with me? I hope that you're with me. Um, think about this here. Criminals 
mourn over their arrest. I do not believe there is comfort that God brings in those moments because they've been arrested. Oh, I feel so sorry for you. No. I I believe there is a sense of justice. You, You kind of got what was coming to you because we reap what we sow. There is no comfort in that. I am not suggesting that God does not care for the criminal. God's grace reaches down to the criminal as well. His grace is available for all. But I think as far as like, well, that kind of mourning, does it bring about comfort? No, I don't believe it does. Or how about this? Deceptive people mourn when they get caught. Being deceptive, if we're being deceptive and then we get caught, there is a sense of mourning. I wish I wouldn't have got caught. I don't believe that there is comfort in that. I don't believe that there is comfort in that. Or corrupt politicians mourn when they lose power. I don't believe there is comfort that accompanies that mourning. You see, I don't believe that just because we mourn means that we are going to be comforted. So I have to ask myself this question. Do I mourn over that which God would mourn for? What does God mourn for? What breaks his heart? What will he actually mourn over? Does God mourn when his children lose someone that they love? I believe the answer is absolutely yes. You know, I I think about the encounter that Mary and Martha had with Jesus when their brother Lazarus was dead. And Jesus came and he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the grave. And yet before he did that, he wept. And I just think about the fact that I, I believe God actually mourns with us. So those who experience loss, I believe that God mourns with his children in those times. God cares. God's heart breaks for us. But I also believe that God's heart mourns over much more than just this. Consider the following. The prophet Amos. God's spokesman in the Old Testament. One of them mourned over the injustice and the oppression of the day. Amos was simply conveying the heart of God. And he looked at his world and he said, this is an unjust An oppressive world. There's evil. Evil abounds. And his heart broke. That's God's heart. God's heart breaks in the same way. Jeremiah. A fellow prophet. He's known as the weeping prophet. How would you like that on your resume? (laughs) How would you want that? I'm the weeping. I'm the guy who weeps. Okay. He was that. That's Jeremiah. He mourned. Over the sins of God's people. He saw the rebellion and he wept over it. It bothered him. Why? Because God was bothered by that. And so the prophet Jeremiah was bothered. James chapter 4 verses 8 through 10 say these words. Wash your hands you sinners. Purify your hearts you double minded. Wow those are strong words. Man, Scripture can speak really directly and really blunt sometimes. Don't try to erase it. Accept it. That's what, that's what James is saying. Wash your hands, you sinners. You need to purify your hearts, you double-minded. He goes on. Grieve, mourn, and wail. 
Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Put that on a Hallmark card. Change your laughter to mourning. Change your joy to gloom. And then there's one more line here I want to draw attention to. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. Humble yourself before the Lord and he's going to lift you up. But James is saying, change your laughter to mourning. Change your joy to gloom. Jesus in Luke chapter 6 verse 25 This is Luke's rendition of the Sermon on the Mount. What we're looking at, his rendition of the Beatitudes, Luke said that Jesus said these words, Woe to you who laugh now. Those are some serious words there to pay attention to. Woe to you who are laughing now. Like the final chapter has not been written. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. The day is coming when you are going to mourn and you're going to weep. So if you're just laughing now, be careful. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm actually going to invite you to turn there if you'd like. If it's easier, you're welcome to just simply listen. But uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 10 says this, this is Paul speaking, human author here, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful, As God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Now pay attention to this verse here, verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance and leads to salvation. Paul is saying, okay, I I get it. I, I said some things that were pretty straightforward and they didn't sit so well with you. Some things that you really didn't like. And at first, I was quite honestly a little bit taken back, and I was a little bit offended myself. I was thinking, I didn't want to offend you. And I was thinking, oh, I'm sorry that they're feeling sorry. And then I started to think to myself, now, hold on a second. Maybe that's what they need. Not like Paul was trying to be mean, I don't think, but just realizing that, hey, hang on a second. This is exactly what drove you to repentance, because I was straightforward with you, because I chose to shoot shoot straight with you. That is exactly what God used to lead you to repentance. And then he says, godly sorrow. Godly sorrow, not just sorrow, but godly sorrow is what leads us to repentance. It's what leads me to repentance. It's what leads you to repentance. Each of us this morning here, it's what leads us to repentance. There's a book by Neil Postman, written in 1985. I have not read it because I was a little kid at that time. But the title is called Amusing Ourselves 
to death. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, I, I had heard of it. Still haven't read it. Probably I'm not going to read it. <laughs> but I like, I, I just, I'm really drawn to the, the title. Amusing ourselves to death. And I think this author is on to something. I think that he's saying that you look at our culture right now. And we do everything that we can to avoid sorrow. We do everything that we can to avoid mourning. Think about it. We have amusement parks. I am not opposed to amusement parks. I love amusement parks. My family loves them. But I think it's ironic that we have amusement parks. We, we need it. We, we thrive on entertainment. You know, if, if we're having a bad day, I'll just go shopping, buy myself some new clothes, and I feel better. I'll just go watch a movie, the theater. I will just binge on Netflix. I will just binge on Hulu or whatever it is, whatever streaming device you have. I... I I will play video games, get myself absorbed in video games because it helps me escape. I, I said earlier at the start of this, I like to draw. Guess why I draw? It's an escape. I'm not opposed to that. I think that we need healthy escapes. Man, if I just simply just watch the news and just take in all of life, whew, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in for all of us. I, we need those moments where we can just say, I need to get away and I need something enjoyable. But if it is keeping us, pushing us from addressing that which is right in front of us, that can be dangerous. If it is keeping us from addressing that which God is telling us, that is dangerous. I think even in our society, I look at past generations. Guess what happened when grandpa and grandma got old? They lived with the family. We just took care of them. I am in no way suggesting that when we send grandpa and grandma to a care facility that we're doing something wrong. All of my grandparents were in care facilities. But if we are doing that to avoid taking care of grandpa and grandma, I don't know if that's healthy. I, I remember my own grandma saying that her grandma, so my, I, I mean, yeah, I think it was her grandma, so my great, 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 grandma passed away and the body was I'm not trying to be gross but the body the deceased body was left in the back room for a few days meaning they did not avoid unpleasant conversations they did not avoid talking about grief and mourning and this is part of life it wasn't let's just send them all off and let's just out of sight out of mind it was physically present right there with them. They had to address it. And I fear that maybe as a society, we are trying to avoid anything that's hard for us. Again, I am not opposed to laughter. I am not oppo- opposed to enjoying life. I think about Solomon who said, hey, you ought to enjoy life. Like, like you actually ought to enjoy life. I don't think that Jesus is opposed to us enjoying life. But again, I think that we have grown a bit out of balance here in Western society, Western culture. 
Don't forget that Jesus is described by Isaiah the prophet as a man of sorrows acquainted with our grief. He's actually familiar with our suffering. That's how Jesus is described. A man of sorrows. I'm not asking you to just be sorrowful all the days of your life. Never enjoy, never have fun, never laugh, never entertain yourself. I'm not suggesting that. But again, I'm presenting some balance here to us. And I think that in our society, we tend to be out of balance here. Wow, this is a depressing message, isn't it? <laughs> this, this is a depressing message this morning. I, I really feel it is. But don't forget the rest of this beatitude of what Jesus says here. Blessed are you when you mourn. For you will be comforted. Do you want comfort? Yes. It's found in a way which is paradoxical to what you think. Comfort is found through mourning. Mourning leads us to comfort. I find this interesting here and And for those of you who don't care about the Greek language, my apologies. But I think this is fascinating. I I don't understand Greek. Uh, I I just understand enough to study it uh, and and help other people who have studied it help me, a dummy in this area, understand it. But I I appreciate what what is said here. This, This word for comfort is the Greek word paraclete. That is, that is the same word that Jesus uses to describe the comforter who is going to come. Who is the comforter? It's the Holy Spirit who came to comfort us. The Holy Spirit comes to bring comfort to us. I don't think it's... It, 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 is, it is totally intended that the same word that Jesus is using here Blessed are you who mourn because you're going to be comforted. The same root word is used for the comforter who comes to comfort us. We need comfort. We need it. God brings comfort. The comfort that God ultimately wants to bring us is found when we recognize the truth of who we are. You see, if if we just gloss over who we are, Our sin, that we are truly unworthy of God. If we gloss over that, then we forfeit the the comfort that God wants to bring. The comfort that God is able to bring. And then I think what happens is we simply amuse ourselves to death. We try to pacify ourselves with other things. Substance of the world. Other things that we would say, this is where comfort is found. God is just, I think, perhaps shaking his head. No, you cannot find comfort there. Blessed are you when you mourn, when you understand who you truly are. That is when you receive comfort. I think that in our culture, we have 
done a great deal to pacify ourselves. You know what a pacifier is? You guys know what a pacifier is for a little baby? Some people call it a little goggy. <laughs> Some people call it a little binky. Like, the pacifier. Put that in the mouth of the baby. They're crying. Now, I am all for a pacifier. If I am on a flight and there's a baby, put a pacifier in that child's mouth right now. <laughs> and there, there are times where when we, when we gather with in groups of people, it's nice when, hey, we can put a pacifier in the kid's mouth. I appreciate that. But I also know that if you do that all the time to a baby, it's unhealthy, actually. Like, children are designed to cry. It is what strengthens the lungs of a child. Let them cry. It's good for them to cry. It's not bad. It's uncomfortable for us. But it's okay. Like, let the child cry. In our society, we get uncomfortable. Oh, he's talking about sin. Pacify it. Go watch a movie. Binge on Netflix. You know, it's just, it's how we think. Pursue pleasure. Take pride in my bank account. Go shopping. Go to the lake. Go to the beach. All the things that we all do. But man, if we're using that to pacify ourselves, we're in trouble. Mourn. Mourn. Mourn over your sin. Me. Mourn over my sin. I want to ask you, are you bothered by the injustice that you see in our society today? Does it bother you? Whether that be racism or abortion, does it bother you? What about sexual perversion? We are bombarded. Our society, our American society, Western culture is bombarded with sexual perversion. We are in a sexual crisis here in America. We do not know who we are because we have thrown a standard out, Scripture, and we are confused. We are extremely confused. My heart breaks for the generation coming up because we know no better We have no idea who we are, whether I'm male or female. We have no idea what kind of sexual identity we're supposed to have because no one is willing to tell us this is is who you are. Does this bother you? I believe it should because I believe it greatly bothers the heart of God who created you, who created me. And speaks, this is who you are. Let me be the one to tell you who you are. Does this bother you? Do you mourn over this? What about pornography or adultery? Does this bother you? I will will tell you, you know as your pastor, I always try to shoot as straight as I can and not necessarily hide who I am. For me, i got to be honest that I tend to be a product of my generation. I'm 42 and I, I'm a Gen Xer. And I have a tendency of just saying, well, this is just how we are. 
Like, this is just society. Of course it's who we are. Am I willing to mourn over it? And not just excuse it and say, well, people will be people. I think there's a balance here. I think that we, to survive life, I think we have to. Like, this is how people are going to respond when they don't have a relationship with God. When there is no comforter, when there is no spirit to convict them and speak to them and guide them and encourage them. Yes, this is how people are going to respond. And yet at the same time, does my heart break? Does your heart break? Do we truly mourn? Do I mourn over my own sin? Does it bother me? Because it sure bothers God. Or do I excuse it and just say, well, I'm only human. What more can you expect? Of course I'm going to think that. Of course I'm going to behave that way. What more do you expect? No. I think Jesus is saying, hang on a second here. Mourn. You want comfort, right? Of course you do. That's why we're pursuing everything that we believe is going to bring us comfort. Hey, if you want comfort, mourn. You need to mourn. Mourn over your sin. Are you bothered by the lack of a moral compass in our society today? This ought to weigh heavy on you. It really ought to weigh heavy on you. It ought to weigh heavy on me. I think far too often we just shrug our shoulders and it's how things are. It's year 2020. In closing, I ask you, as I've been asking you all along, do you, do you mourn over your sin? Do you really mourn over your sin? Or do you write it off with everyone's sins? So it's really not that big of a deal. It's just how we are. Does a sin of our society get to you? Does it bother you? I believe it should. Don't look to our society to determine what is right and wrong. Our society does not know. And what our society believes is wrong today will be okay in 10 years. Why do I say that? Because things that we believe are okay, 10 years ago we said were wrong. We do not know. We think we know. And shame on us. Sorry for my passion here, but shame on us for us as believers. When we fall trapped to this and we start to excuse our own behavior as well, that is wrong. Don't fall trapped to that. Don't fall trapped. I I don't just speak to you. I speak to me. Don't fall trapped to this because I am so enticed to just give in and just say it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. Yes, it matters. It matters. Let God speak. He's spoken. Don't try to come to Scripture and try to find clever ways to wiggle around it. Let God speak. I'm not saying that everything in this book is completely easy to understand. There are some things that baffle me. But there's a lot of things that I believe are just, it says what it means. 
If I read Dr. Seuss, I have a pretty good idea of what he meant. And if I read what God has said in Scripture, I have a pretty good idea of what he meant. I'm the one who usually doesn't like it, and I'm the one who tries to wiggle around it. Don't. Come to it. Let this book, Scripture, guide us. It's a standard. And I understand that our society has thrown it off, but as a church, we must not throw it off. This is a standard, and this is what helps me understand the heart of God. And when I understand the heart of God, and the more I pursue the heart of God, the more my heart becomes aligned with his heart. And I began to weep over the things that he weeps for. My heart breaks for the things that break the heart of God. And I begin to see my sin as God sees my sin. And I begin to mourn for my sin. And I begin to mourn for the sins of my people, my generation, my country. My heart is burdened for that. Hearts need to be burdened here. And I love this because I believe according to Jesus in this upside down beatitude, when we mourn, that's when we find comfort. How do we find comfort? Because when I mourn over my sin, I seek forgiveness. And when I seek forgiveness, that is when I find comfort. Have you, have you been, maybe as a kid, you did something wrong and you were just like resisting, owning up to it? It happened to me numerous times. And then when I would finally go and apologize to whoever I was supposed to apologize to, the weight was lifted. Like this, just a huge weight was lifted. That's comfort. That's comfort. When we recognize our sin for what it is and we confess it, we come to God with it. That's when we find comfort. Are you comforted? If you're not comforted, Right now, I almost guarantee it, you are convicted. And what you will do is either grow agitated with my words, or you will say, hang on, Lord, maybe you're saying something here that I need to listen to. And rather than trying to fight the conviction that the Spirit brings, say, okay, Lord, here you go. I desire that that's my response, and I desire that's your response. I desire that to be the response of Kingwood Bible Church. I also ask you, are you involved in things that you know you really should not be? I know that's already alluded to here, but again, if that's the case, don't put it off. Don't write it off. Address it. Respond. Mourn, repent. In doing so, we find comfort. Are you comforted? Jesus intends to comfort you. Each, each of you.
He wants to bring that comfort to us. It is found when we mourn. Lord, thank you for these words. And I will be the very first to say that these are convicting words. As I was, this last week, as I was studying, um, you brought conviction to me, to my life. Uh, Conviction about times where I have a tendency of of writing off sin, whether it's my own sin or the sin of um, my generation. Uh, it's just it's just so easy to make excuses. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive us. Lord, I. Uh, for us as a, a country, Lord, forgive us. Lord, we desperately need you. We desperately, desperately need you. Lord God, I pray that in these in seasons like this. I pray that by your spirit you are speaking to hearts. As you have for centuries in the past, you have spoken to people's hearts. And I believe that you are still active. And I am praying that by your spirit you are speaking right now. Lord, I don't know how each person who is viewing this online right now or who is here, I don't know what, what you are speaking to them, but I, my prayer is that we will not be resistant to the ways that you speak to us. It is not mine to convince. It is not mine to convict. It is yours, Holy Spirit. And I, I give that to you. But my prayer is that when you speak to us, we will respond appropriately. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time that we have had to share together. I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.